Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Cosmic Car Wash podcast. As always, Paul, Rick, Rick. and uh, really excited to be here. So, yeah, this is good. It's been a good week, and uh, we're calling this one The Garden. Um, That's not the one in Madison Square, Um, and it's not The Secret, (laughs) but it is The Garden, and so... Garden references can we come up with? <laughs> and go. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, better a uh, better a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. an old. Is that an old one? Okay. Yeah, old Chinese proverb. I think. Okay. I credit you with it because you're the first person I heard it from. So. Yeah, fortunately, I didn't uh, write it, but it's yeah. a good one. It is a good one. It is a good one. So. But yeah, the garden we're talking about is the garden of all gardens. And I think as we'll find out, it's the garden that shows up throughout scripture. It's not just, I mean, we are, of course, talking about Eden. We should say that explicitly. (laughs) We're talking about Eden. But uh, yeah, Eden shows up in uh, places throughout scripture and really, really fascinating. So um yeah, we'll kind of dive into it and see what the implications are for Eden. It's not uh, a place only relegated to long lost history. Uh, it is a very, I'll go so far as to say it's a very real and very present place. Um, I don't want to get science fiction or anything because that's out of my depth. But uh, yeah, the Garden of Eden is very real and very right now and very relevant to who we are and where we're at and the world that we live in and uh, the story that God is telling. So That's yeah, cool. with that, um, Rick, I know you've done some, like this was kind of your idea. Like, how about let's talk about the garden. So let's just go with your thoughts and we'll get the discussion going like we do. I don't want to go first. <laughs> this this all hangs on you, man. I'm kidding. Uh I'm sure you did found some of the same research that I did. Um, the first garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. What else did I find? The Garden of Golgotha and then the Heavenly Garden. Heavenly. Um, not sure what that means. I really didn't. Uh, the Garden of Eternal Life. Um, pretty cool. Cool stuff, you know. Uh I, and uh, but you and I have uh, ever since the great renewal. What was it like? Twenty months, almost two years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that Eden never really went away. It's almost kind of been relegated to the shelves of, um, you know, religious history. Uh, it's it was a place a long time ago, almost you know becoming this yeah. dusty it's good stuff for poetry. But yeah, this dusty myth that we talk about periodically that you know mankind ruined and but eden never really went away um i do find it interesting that um you know it was uh it was where god hung out it's where he went and walked in the cool of the day to hang out with adam and everything that was created and um you know it was done male and female animals whatever and then it was god who uh noticed that mm, Adam needs some help. Yep. You know, so he made, you know, created Eve, pulled a rib out of him. And, um, and to this day, uh, women have one more rib than men. Correct. Do they? 
Yes. Is that a scientific? I had no idea. Uh, I think so. We can do some research, but I heard that a long time ago that on uh, the man, there's a, a rib kind of, uh, we're run one rib short. So uh, before I lay claim to that and our critics, if we have any, uh, <laughs> yet. I would love it if we had critics. That means there's people listening. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right now it's just you and I and a handful of people whose cable went out. <laughs> stuck it, stuck yeah. it watching the internet. Let me watch these guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, I mean, we can cut that out later if it's wrong. <laughs> but I, I like what you said a while back that God has has spent eternity now. So, I mean, from the beginning, trying to get creation back to Eden, and then. Yeah. He's not this angry, surly curmudgeon. Um, he's, it, that was our original design. That was the original plan. We were designed for eternity, designed for Eden. And um, I love what you said uh, just a little while ago, a week or two ago. You said that uh, Adam and Eve may have left Eden, but Eden never left them. God never left them. God never left and, them. Uh, yeah. You know, when he found them hiding, they were familiar with his voice. Otherwise, if they had never heard him before, they would have thought, what is that sound? But he, he came calling for them. So they recognized his voice, you know, and he's calling for Adam and Eve. I'm sure he knew where they were. And he was probably thinking, I told him not to eat that. And, uh, and then he killed an animal. You and I are convinced it was a lamb. And he, yep. clo he clothed them with it. So he killed it. And then he clothed them with it. And then he told them they had to leave. And um, thousands of years later, we find Jesus in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. And uh, where he is praying that in this garden to the point of sweating blood. And a couple things in that, in that passage that really jumped out, and you and I have talked about that before, is that um, that is an actual medical condition. In times of a great stress where you can actually sweat blood. But when Peter slices off Malchus's ear and uh, Jesus says, put it away. Don't you know I could call my father and he would send a legion of angels. So God would have responded, you know. Yep. And uh, so you hear a lot of stories of just, you know, how the father um, just broke him and destroyed his son and sacrificed his son. And and um, I, I uh, he was ready to rescue him in a moment's notice. I, I, imagine, I imagine him literally holding his breath, watching his son, watching himself, part of himself. Um, he was God in, in the flesh. So and at a moment's noticed and, uh, but he didn't call him. He didn't call on the angels. So in, in that, there was that garden. And then there was a garden of Golgotha, a tomb that had never been used. So it's, you know, and some, I, we talked about this before. Some scholars believe that when Jesus went into the wilderness for the 40 days, that some believe that, he was where the original Eden was. 
Mm. And uh, so all there's so many references to gardens, um, even when, um, oh, the prophet came to David and um, after he had, you know, Uriah put a hit on Uriah, fooled around with his wife and then put a hit on him and uh, talked about a garden. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of references and even... Um, it, you know, we're reading in Jeremiah now, and the uh, Israelites would make gardens on their roofs, except yeah. these gardens were for uh, to worship, um, you know, Molech and uh, these just horrific, horrible gods that demanded child sacrifice. And, um, yeah. They, they were. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, um as simple as it is that God, his plan is to take everything back to the garden. That's his yeah. plan is for Eden to return. Yep. And I, be I believe that, that it's not about this heavenly garden that we're all going to die. And when we die, we go to heaven. Um, that's not the, the heartbeat of the gospel. It's no. the heartbeat is the resurrection. Yes, it is the resurrection. And like we've said, and is that his plan is to do for you and I and everybody else what he did for Jesus at Easter is that we yeah. will be resurrected. And those that are that don't die, there are there is a generation that will never see death. Yes. And Scripture says it. Exactly. And the twinkling of, of an eye that we, we will be made like him. But he was still flesh. He could walk through right. walls, but he was still flesh. He ate, he drank, hung out with yep. his friends. And uh, so just thinking of, you know, just gardens and how some people, you know, I'm sure you know some people like that too. And when I lived in Illinois, you know, we had that rich black dirt, you know, and yeah. uh, man, we had, I had some great garden, vegetable gardens and uh, not so much here in Southside Virginia. I know some people do but you gotta i had a friend that said he had to truck in some dirt and because we got all this red dirt and clay and, hmm. and um so uh i all i grow is lemongrass and um a few flowers here and there and the lemon <laughs> you're doing oh, better than me the lemongrass is for uh it's a natural bug repellent so that's pretty much it that's pretty much all i'm growing i'm trying to grow grass out in the front yard but i have no idea what this stuff is I have spent too much money on grass seed that supposedly could make grass grow on a sidewalk and it didn't. And, uh, I don't know. I just kind of threw in the towel. So, yeah, you know, thinking about gardens and one thing that, uh, listening to the Bible project podcast with, uh, Tim Mackey and John Collins has really opened my eyes to is how integral scripture, how integral, patterns are in scripture and it was the intent of the people who wrote the bible over the course of thousands of years to remind readers of other passages of the bible and the language is the same from one scroll to the next and one passage to the next and they're all meant to uh build a story you know because i love the 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 message of the Bible Project podcast is, you know, the, the Bible is one continuous story that leads to Jesus. Right. And so with that mindset, I start to look through scripture and see where are other patterns that 
God is developing. And I think the garden as the first place that God shows up and man shows up in the garden um, is a pattern for God's desired interaction and desired purpose and, and plan for humanity. And this is something that you and I have talked extensively about and has been one of the major themes that's developed for us as we discovered uh, through the John Eldridge podcast, The Great Renewal. It's about 20 months ago now, um, which is crazy that it's only been 20 months. It's taken over every single part of my life yeah. and continues to work its way through my life and literally change everything. Yeah. Uh, which is just a testament to the fact that this is the gospel. Yeah, amen. But one of those, one of the kind of sub themes of that has that has developed is that uh, in the great renewal, and we see it in the garden, Adam was fully employed. He was busy. He was oh, yeah. working. You know, and I think we hit on it a little bit last week that God's commission to Adam to uh, to work the ground and to produce and to subdue the earth and bring order where there was chaos was not part of the curse after they sinned. It was actually part of the blessing. So that work existed before sin entered the picture. And God's charge to Adam then was to, to name all the animals. And, you know, I think probably in the great renewal, when we have a chance to get to know Adam, we'll, you know, realize that he's a great, you know, zoologist and horticulturist and, yeah. you know, understands plants and animals. And he, he started to bring structure to a world God gave him to steward it. And yeah. so that pattern is that where God shows up, there's activity and there's work. It's not a lazy, just kind of sit on, you right. know, on our hands and wait for God to show up and rescue us kind of, this is that's not the kind of faith that God's called us to, you know. And so we talk about being fully employed now, as we know that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth, and it's going to continue until what Scripture calls the day of the Lord, when Jesus appears, and then Paul says we will appear with Him, and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We don't just go into eternity, kind of blank. There's there's work that goes on, and Isaiah talks about it a lot, that they will rebuild the ruins and the places long right. devastated. And we get to, I mean, we've talked about this numerous times, we get to partner with Jesus in the healing of the world. So it's really cool that, yeah, anywhere that Eden shows up in the Bible, which is that place where God and man come together, there's work going on. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, it's uh, it's an active place, and there's there's fruit being produced, and I imagine kind of build, yeah, I imagine it is the most fulfilling work you could ever do. Yes, you know, as as um, as enjoyable as you know, some people that approach their careers. There's that saying that says, "Show me a man that loves what he does. I'll show you a man that never works a day in his life." You know, that yeah. kind of career where you're doing what your heart has always wanted to do. It's not, it's not even like work. I imagine it's even greater than that. But, yes. you know, talking about what you said about being fully employed now. And I, I think ultimately the gardens are a, a, a bigger picture of the gardens of our hearts. Okay. And what we plan in our hearts, because the scripture that says that break up the fallow ground of yeah. your heart. 
and uh, I will give turn you know a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and we have the um, not unusual but uh, uh, I guess oh gosh I can't think of the word right now but um, a privilege that our hearts are more of a garden I think than people realize, and yeah. that what we put in them will bring forth fruit, you know, people, I've said this before and you, you know, and I'm sure just through life and you meet people in different seasons of their lives. And, um, sometimes they, they get to the, the golden age, I guess, if you want to put a number on it or that, you know, the sunset of their lives and they wonder why they don't have strawberries and their families won't call them. Nobody wants to spend any time with them. Their kids could care less. And uh, they spent their lives planting onions and are wondering where all the strawberries are. And, uh, yeah. and you know, um, the things that we say and the things that we do and the way that we treat people and uh, the way that we love God, everything is a seed and everything yes. um, brings forth fruit. And, um, you know, I told a friend one time that, your life is a garden. Your entire life is a garden. How you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you treat your coworkers, your family, everything that you do. And even the times when, you know, you can't hardly stand the people you're around. But even Jesus said the word is like the seed. Yeah. And it wherever it falls, it falls on rich soil, falls on rocky soil, falls on weedy soil, thorny soil or it hits that good soil and brings forth a harvest. It's the same yeah. thing. The things that we do, the things that we speak and the things that we believe. And, um, Oh gosh, I was thinking, um, today and last night that we can, um, you can spend your life reading and studying the Bible and never fall in love with God. That's very true but you can fall in love with God and then you fall in love with this word. Yeah. And it's kind of a paradox. It's an upside down kind of thing. Um, but people do it all the time and we, um, we can't fix the outside till we fix the inside. And, right. um, and it really, it all comes down to what's in our heart and what we put in, you know, the good news about the gospel, the good news about, are the gardens of life is that you can always plant new seed. Oh, yes. You can always do that at a moment's notice. You can start over. Yeah. You can start over, you know, um, we can choose to be bitter or we can choose to be better. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it, as simple as it sounds, it's really, it really, is but you know there's some things there's, there's some hard decisions and sometimes it's a great paradigm shift that has to happen and uh, when you find yourself you know cynical and bitter and and hateful and um angry because things didn't you know uh, the good things didn't fall your way and uh, I, I mean i get it you know the, the other person gets the promotion the other person gets the gig you know and you always come up short seems like every single time and everything is a hustle and a hassle trying to you know grab that brass ring and um 
I, I can understand how you could just, you know, throw in the towel and so, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. But again, it's that it's a, it's a mindset and it's an attitude and we will be affected by the people that we surround ourselves with, you know, Absolutely. and everyone is a farmer. Everyone throws seed, you know, they throw yeah. seed, they throw shade one or the other. And, um, I would rather align myself with people that throw seed, good seed, no, not weeds, but good seed of, of encouragement, of strength, uh, of, um, of hope, of peace, life and love. Yeah. And those things day after day after day, it's the same thing. It's, the, it's like working in a garden. You go out in your garden, people that are just really obsessed and, and love, you know, that's their happy place. You know, yeah. people like that. I know people like that. That's where on a weekend, if they got nothing to do, you're going to, they'll be in the garden. Yeah. And, um, they, uh, they're constantly working that soil. They're pulling the weeds. They're caring for their plants to make sure they get water. It's the same way with people. Yeah. You know, and not to, you know, to trivialize it and turn it into a bumper sticker, but our hearts are just as much of a rich garden. And here's a, another one. If, what made Eden special was that it was God was there. If, if we, if the Lord lives in our hearts, then our hearts are Eden. And that's why yeah. I, that's why I say we are Eden. We are Eden. We are Eden because, the, and also the Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Guess what? That makes you Eden. It makes Eden. you Eden. It makes you the living, breathing resurrection. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's intense. Yeah. You That's are, good. You are the resurrection. You are Eden. Wow. Yeah. You, you know, I love it. Yeah. I, well, so I love that you brought up that it's never too late to start. And my mind goes to the parable Jesus told of the, uh, the foreman that goes out or the, the master of the field that goes out to find people to work his, okay. his fields. He goes out at different times of the day, the start of the day, a few hours later, midday, and then finally the end of the day. He goes out and finds people and they end up only working one hour. And we have turned that into a salvation scripture, which I'm there's an application there. But if I'm taking that parable in the context in which Jesus told it, it's not he wasn't speaking about salvation. He was speaking about working in the kingdom of God, that the people who start working at the last minute, because the truth is we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus said as much, no man knows the day or the hour that the son will, that Jesus will return or reappear. Only the father knows that. Right. But there will be those who at the last hour start working. They, they wake up to the kingdom of God. They receive the message of the gospel and it comes alive in them and they begin to work and they get the same reward as those people that realized it at the beginning and have been working their whole lives. And I just think that points to the heart of God. Like he's so intensely invested in our success and our prosperity and he knows that the best thing for us is him. And he's so intensely invested in that, that he's willing to give the person who wakes up at the very last minute and says, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed this my whole life, right, but well, I see it now and I want to get to work. 
Yeah. Those people get, we get the same reward, you know, like, and that's, I just, I love that about the heart of God, no matter how late it is. So I feel like that a bit, you know, I went my whole life, yeah. uh, you know, earlier you made the comment that you can spend your whole life reading the Bible and going to church and not love God. Yep. And I won't say that I didn't love God, but I definitely lived 44 years of my life not understanding just how kind and forgiving and gentle and patient God is and how right. much he has done every single thing he can possibly do to restore us to that Eden place, to restore Eden in us. And it was <clears throat> with that having my eyes opened that has launched, like this morning we were um, commenting our devotions um about being enamored with Christ, you know, like the last 20 months has been this every day, just being enamored with something new about Jesus. Like, oh my God, you're so good. I used to look at you as the surly curmudgeon and Jesus was like holding God back. Right. <laughs> the, father, the heart of the father was never that way. No, you I know. know. And now that, I, now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. I Everywhere I look in scripture, I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. I read the scripture a hundred times before. Yeah. But now I see the heart of God. And my last point is that you're absolutely right. The people that we align ourselves with mm -hmm. determine so much oh, yeah. about who we become. And that's just a testament for me of... Um, like, you know, the warrior poets, you and Joey and Preston and the other people that we've gathered around us through the these yeah. uh, version devotions, like spending time in a virtual sense with you all and reflecting and on scripture and talking about Jesus and about the things of God. It is changing me in a very good way. And it's a slow change. You know, God's patient. But I would not be where I am today and the person I am today if it wasn't for you and the rest of the warrior poets, these friends that just, you encourage me and you strengthen me. And without meaning to you convict and challenge me. Yeah. Likewise, feel the same way. I like the, uh, that you talked about, about the, the employees, you know, came on early and those that came on in the last hour and, uh, their reward was the same. Or, uh, um, I wonder if it wasn't so much about the money is the fact that their reward was, you're working in the kingdom. Uh, and, there you uh, go. Yeah, I have this, uh, and I we've talked about it. This, um, I, I just I can't wait. There's something that just really sings mm. in me about being fully yeah. employed in the kingdom of God. It just sings in me. But I wanted to bring up one thing that really kind of stood out through this, the whole thing for, through this week as I've been thinking about it. And that, you know, all the gardens that are mentioned, there's so many references to gardens and, you know, from fig trees to the thistles and, you know, gardens. And that when Jesus walked out of the grave, the first one that met him was Mary. And she thought he mm -hmm. was the gardener, the gardener, you know, and in a, yeah. in a sense, he was, he still yeah. is. And, um, I, I just, that just fascinates me that, that she did not recognize him. And she thought he was a garden and said, where have you mm. laid my Lord? Um, beautiful thing. I, again, I, there's so many different pictures 
that I can, you know, I'm reading the word and thinking about it that I see. And once again, is it, you know, coming back to that same thing about the gardens of our hearts, we are just as much of a gardener. We can not only plant in our own, in our own hearts, but we can plant in the hearts of other people. And sometimes yes. it's just that piece of kindness because the word says that we are, you know, it's God's kindness that leads us to his repent, to repentance, yeah. you know, and uh, I think the word repentance has got such a bad rap, you know, right. over the years and the decades. And when, you know, once people start talking about repentance, I, you know, I see this, you know, thin old guy, you know, a tall, thin man <laughs> with bony fingers, you know, <laughs> repent. Repent, you know, and uh, <laughs> the uh, when you are struck truly by the power and the presence of God, and only my only reference for that kind of experience was in Smithton, Missouri, where you mm -hmm. were born and raised. Yeah. By the way, that's where we met. Was at um, yeah Smithton Community Church, Steve Gray's church, and uh, they had a sovereign move of God. And so we drove from central Illinois and um, I'll never forget it. And when you experience that, and then you add to that, what we just experienced, you know, through uh, uh, John and Blaine's Eldridge's podcast of our ambivalence yeah. towards the return of Christ and then N.T. Wright and, and um, um, what's his name? Daryl Dallas, Dallas Willard, uh, C.S. Lewis, you start getting into some of their revelations and uh, it's the same thing as this epiphany. And when you have those experiences and that demonstration and you are overwhelmed truly by the presence of God, repentance is the easiest thing you'll ever do. Yeah, it is the easiest thing you'll ever you won't it won't you won't even consider it. It's like right. it's it, the only thing I can relate it to is falling in love with someone right and you can't all you want to do is be with them you want right. to spend every minute with them you want to talk to them you know if you're part you're always on the phone you can't stop thinking about them there you can't even imagine doing anything to hurt their feelings let alone damage yeah. the relationship you can't even right. imagine that i mean you know what i'm talking about yep. you know you can't imagine life without them yeah and um when you experience that and you and the clouds, the fog rolls out of the way, the the um, unrealistic um, view of God as this angry, surly curmudgeon, you know, a entire universe away um, that, you know, can burn you like an ant through a magnifying glass on a summer day and see him as the father that he was and is. Yeah, I'm telling you, Paul, it is truly life changing. And, and if we can, if people in our churches, you know, can get a hold of this change is the easiest thing to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it there's is. still some work that, you know, you got to put in, but again, it all comes down to, to having that circle of good farmers. Yeah. Yeah. Good farmers who constant just encouraging and praying and and talking about the scriptures talking about the word and and helping and you know grabbing that hand and come on man and, you know uh, i blew it now you didn't have you checked out the guys in the old testament <laughs>
man. You know, yeah. the more I think yeah. about some of these characters, you know, to me, it's you're right. Every now when I look at the word, all I see is the heart of a good, good father. Yeah. You know, and that and that's our hearts are to be cultivated like that, just like a farmer would cultivate dirt on his, no, you know, South 40. And right. So that, you know, that's key that I think those are, there's some key things, but you know what I also believe not to get prophetic or anything is that we are coming into a season like that. We have to be, there has to begin to have this revelation of yeah. the good, good father. And that, and that we need to let go uh, of um, revenge and vengeance. Right. And there's people that some people that really cling to that. They're looking forward. And granted, there's some justice, justice that needs to be meted out on this earth. Some of the horrible and terrible evil that's perpetrated on innocent people. And yeah. um, so, but, and that, I, that will, again, will happen because that's who is his presence. He is an all consuming fire. Yeah. It's who he is. Yeah. I like what we, you talked yeah. about. Yeah. I, I was just going to pass it to you. We were talking about um, the, uh, the sacrifices from the Tim Mackey. You were explaining that a week or so ago. And uh, you remember we talk about the sacrifices yes. and the burnt. Oh offerings. yes, yes, yes. The burnt offerings. Yeah. Yeah. So the way he was explaining it was really beautiful, and it just really uh, yeah, it opened my eyes that the sacrifices in the Old Testament, particularly the burnt offering, uh, was um, it was the life of something innocent being given for the life of some one who was guilty, but even that innocent life had to be transformed in order to go into the presence of God. So they, the way they described it is like the smoke that went up from that burnt offering, like it literally is the atoms of that animal ascending to God. It had to be transformed into a different state. Wow. And the blood that was taken into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat, that blood was sprinkled on, but that animal had to be transformed in order to go into the presence of God. And I think that this is just me. I'm not a scholar or a theologian. I don't have any MDivs or THDs behind my name. But I think that references in the New Testament to, uh, I think the, in either First or Second Peter, he talks about it, that the elements will be consumed by fire. I think that's meant to take us back again, talking about patterns that's meant to remind us of those sacrifices in the old Testament. God is transforming through his fire. The fire that he is, is transforming the entire cosmos Whoa. to be able to be in his presence. That is incredible. I, when I saw that, I was, I had to pause and just through his stop. presence. Like, yeah, that's, That's what he's doing now with us. He's doing in us now. In the Blaine actually called this out in the, the John Eldridge uh, podcast. God is doing gently but insistently now what he will do pretty forcefully later. He's inviting us to participate in that fire willingly so that when we get to the end, and even Paul references this, 
build, uh, every man's work will be tested by fire. So build with gold and silver and precious stones, build your life with things that will survive that fire. Because if you build with wood, hay and stubble, hmm. your work will be burned up and you'll be, you'll survive, but only as one escaping from a fire. And so it's just this, God is inviting us to sow good seed, to build with uh, things that will survive. And yeah, we, we get transformed into uh, the kind of people that can live in the presence of God. That, cause that's what he wants. Yeah. We get transformed into people with a heart like the garden of Eden. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it makes me wonder that as we do, the closer that we get to him is the closer we get because he is an all consuming fire. And then yeah. as, as we draw closer and get more and more revelation, I mean, like the great renewal and things, you know, really get to the heart of the gospel and uh, it, you, it, a lot of those things are, they're, they're burned away yeah. in that revelation and, and, uh, yes. and, uh, you know, coming back around to, you know, repentance and, um, it, it becomes so simple and so easy. You know, yeah. you find yourself, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I can't look at that. I can't watch that. You know, yep. I shouldn't say that. Um, it, um, it makes it easier as yeah. strange as that may sound, you know, uh, that one scripture says, take every thought captive and cast down every vain imagination, you know, oh my gosh, I used to pray that every single every day, s- Paul, you know, yeah. and it was like a losing battle, you know, it was two steps forward, three steps back. It was like trying yeah. to race up a, a greasy hill and, um, you know, and I was, and until when you introduced that whole, the, you know, the great renewal to me. I, then I began to understand how these, they were able to say these things yeah. and how they were able to do them. And it really the heart and soul and the core of this entire thing. And, and the heartbeat of the gospel is love. Yeah. It is love. Yep. And uh, without that, which, you know, as ugly as it sounds, we just become religious bigots clinging to fury anger and revenge all we've got left is going to the gay pride parade with signs that say you're going to burn in hell that you know the love of god it's the kindness of god and the love of god that brings people to repentance yeah yeah absolutely if jesus said they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another and you mentioned it earlier um if if we can't stand the people that sit across from us in the pew, how are we ever going to reach people outside the church with the love of God? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was a John said that they will know you by your love for one another. Yeah. And if you, you can't claim to love God, but then hate the person at the end of the pew. Yeah. You know, and, um, until we, we, you know, that it has to be made right. It's got to be done to be effective. I pray all the time. I'm sure you do too, you know, about your church, your local church. And, and my heart's desire is that it become like that 
garden, just a yes. rich garden where people can flourish and grow and fulfill and become the people that God saw when he first thought of them, when he first thought of yeah. you and me. And, uh, and it becomes all of those things, the, the heart of God himself, the pool of Bethesda, a house of hope and healing that people yeah. walk in and they're just naturally and instantly transformed. And, and it has to be because of the people that they see. Right. You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, when they came down from the temple Mount and the fig tree was withered and they were all freaked out. And then they started bragging on the temple, Lord, look at the, you know, like as if he'd never seen it before, you know, he grew up there. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, when he was 12, they couldn't find him. And that's where he was. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he said, um, basically, you know, you could say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. This mountain, he's very specific. This yeah. mountain, he didn't say you can say to a mountain, you can say to any mountain. He says you can say to this mountain. Basically, what he was saying was don't put your faith in that hill and in that building and in those bricks. You are yeah. the light of the world. And I think that we have forgotten some of that. But Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you are the light of the world. So, yeah. and, and that just wasn't for that specific group of people. That's for anybody that calls himself a disciple. You are the light of the world. We can't hide it under a bushel basket. Um, and uh, we can't expect people who on the outside know nothing about it and could care less and have been told, you know, millions and millions of lies uh, about the gospel and about the church to expect them to understand if we start speaking Christianese and sometimes it's just, again, farmers spread and see love, kindness, and, com and compassion. Yeah. I've said for years, let mercy rule the day. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. mercy. You know, Absolutely. You, you, you know, we're going to get what we give. And, um, that one scripture is that, uh, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So God poured into your lap. It, we use that out of context all the time, but in context, it's about judgment. Right. It is about judgment. Mm. And, uh, but people use it for money and everything else, but it's about judgment. Right. And, um, so how we judge is going to be how we are judged. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, you know, you know, as well as I do that we, if we got what we would deserve, we wouldn't be having a podcast today. <laughs> I wouldn't so, be here, man. I wouldn't either. And uh, so that being said, we can't refer to people on the outside of our buildings as they, because we used to be they. Yeah. And um, we just, you never know the seeds that have been planted in people. There's that old saying that children are resilient. I, that's a lie. I don't believe it. If it were true, then where'd all these screwed up adults come from? Right. You know, right. Right. Good grief. You know, right. I mean, some of, some of us are a mess and it's not our fault. It isn't our fault. And um, we don't have to fix ourselves. No, you're right. It's, yeah. We come it's in God's job. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm telling you in that environment, I've been there. You've been there. Yeah. You know, I've told Janet about it many, many times is it is a palpable, real event. It is a real yeah. thing. And I don't think every Christian, unfortunately, gets to experience that. 
especially when we've dumbed it down and watered it down and convoluted it down and, uh, you know, not to point fingers, uh, you know, but when we make it as simple as bow your head, close your eyes and slip your hand up and say this prayer, it's, that's it, not even in the gospel. It's not scriptural. It is right. not, it is a public confession. Yes. And, uh, um, and it even goes deeper than that again. You have that environment where the spirit of the Lord is truly there. The great gardener, you know, the carpenter, the shepherd, the high priest, the great physician, the king of kings, yeah. the Lord of lords, um, the lily of the valley, him. Yeah. He is there. When he's there, people will run to the altar. Yes. People, they will. You won't, yeah. you'll have to get more chairs. You'll never have to pass another plate for offering and you won't be able to lock the doors because you'll be open 24 hours a day because they'll come. I'm convinced of that. I wrote Jesus that. never had a trouble drawing a crowd Absolutely. one way or the other. <laughs> yep. I mean, he had, it really, I love the story of the press and all right. the people, you know, are squeezing and bumping into him. And to me, it's such a picture of church. It's, it's yeah. a picture of Christianity. It applies, it's applicable today. You got your, you know, you got everybody. I mean, you got cable news, you got, you got TMZ and, and the hungry, the lonely, the bored, the broken, the sick. And then you got the disciples, you get the church members. And um, basically it was this massive throng that you had to fight to get through to get to Jesus. Yeah. And instead of making a way, everybody gets in the way. So being a gardener for God is about making a way for the yeah. spirit of God to move and, and being able to plant eternity in the hearts of people. Eternity, yeah. not a far off place, not an escape, but eternity and the return of Eden, the return of God and the kingdom of God and his government on his good, good earth. Yes. And he is coming. cultivate. Yeah, yeah, we cultivate a place where he wants to show up and hang out with oh, us. Ab yes, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, we 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 do whatever we can to create a place where God wants to come and walk with us in the cool of the day, and everything else will sort itself out. Can you imagine a church service like that where there was a just an incredible manifestation of the presence of God, not a visitation, but an indwelling. Yeah. People would fly from around. I know I can too. They would fly from around the world. To come. Yep. And, you, and again, you'd have your critics and your religious naysayers and just like he did, a lot of things have not changed. Right. But, um, yeah, that's what I long for. I no longer have an ambivalence. You know, I have to thank John Eldridge and Blaine Eldridge for that. You know, yes. I hope someday they see this. Uh, thank you, thank you. This message yeah. saved our lives. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. It did. Yeah. yeah. And now here we are talking about the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And the end of the world is not the end of the world. The end of the world. And, our, and our favorite saying: <laughs> God is not, not mad, mad at, at you. you. Yeah, yes. God's not mad at you. He's not mad. I think it's a good place to, yeah. to end. I think so, too. All right. We'll pick it up next week with a topic yet to be decided.
but uh, I'm convinced it'll be a good discussion. Thank you, everybody, for watching yeah. this, wherever you are, whenever you are. Uh, I hope you like this video. If you do, click the like button. Please subscribe to our page. And uh, if you want to contact us for any reason whatsoever, uh, info at thecosmiccarwash.com. Yep. Lay hands on that like button. Like it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Talk to you soon.